Uh, well, welcome here today. It is Christmas time, and uh, I hope that you are, uh, you know, in the process of uh, celebrating. Uh, last week, we put up our Christmas tree. Uh, I put up the Christmas lights outside of our house. As I was on the ladder reaching over to put the lights on, I thought, this is like the most dangerous thing that the middle-aged man is doing these days. And uh, maybe it's just cliff diving feels safer than this, but we got the, the lights up. And, uh, and it looks beautiful. In fact, if you were around uh, this past week, if you're around this parts, uh, you know it was super foggy, which, which meant it was really cold. But it also meant that all those lights just kind of had this warm kind of glistening glow. It just felt like Christmas. It was really great. Uh, because it's Christmas, it all mean, also means that we put, uh, we started playing our Christmas music. And I don't know about you, but I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Christmas music. There are some songs that are, are just so, so rich and so meaningful and so beautiful. They, they literally move me when I hear them. And then there are others, right? I mean, like, I mean, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, uh, that song that all the seniors hate, uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, uh, the Australian version, uh, uh, the, the Australian Christmas song called Six White Boomers, which, just in case you're wondering, is referring to kangaroos. Um, music has always been a major part of Christmas. In fact, if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, which records the very first Christmas, you will see that there were songs before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. In fact, Luke records the first four Christmas songs ever written. The first one by Jesus' mother, Mary. Uh, the second one by his uncle, a guy named uh, Zechariah, uh, who was a priest uh, who sang a song at his birth, at the time of his birth or near the time. Then the angels who sang on the day of his birth. And then uh, this old saint, a man named Simeon, who, who sang a song over Jesus after his birth. And so in many ways, it kind of was like the very first Christmas playlist. And so that's what we're going to look at over these next four weeks, culminating on Christmas Eve. We're going to look at these very first Christmas songs that were ever sung um, and, uh, and written. And the first song that we're going to look at is Mary's song. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, you can find it in Luke, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. Uh, it's the very first Christmas song that is ever written. And unlike most of the Christmas songs that we sing today, there's nothing sentimental about it. There's nothing nostalgic about this song uh, that, uh, that Mary sings. There's no soft falling snow. There's no, uh, you know, angels singing, no being home for Christmas, not even cattle lowing gently around a manger. No, the very first Christmas song is a song all about the power of surrender which is not what we typically think about when we think about Christmas songs. I mean, that's not sentimental. That's not nostalgic. But you have to remember that the very first Christmas, for those who were involved, there was nothing sentimental or nostalgic about it. It was, for them, very real life. And it was really all about the work that God was doing in the world and the work that what God was doing in them. And this is what Mary is wrestling with as she composes this first Christmas song. And, and so we want to take a look at it. And what it says for us. Uh, you have to remember that what we, what we do think of as beautiful and sentimental, this idea that this teenage girl was pregnant and rode a donkey and, and gave birth in a stable. I mean, for Mary, it was not so much. 
For Mary, the, the news that she was pregnant was going to have a child was actually totally unexpected and pretty much unwanted. Because you have to understand that she was a teenage girl who was happily engaged to marry the love of her life. She no doubt dreamed about the wedding day and the celebration that would take place and then moving in and setting up a little home, a beautiful home and having this beautiful, you know, brood of children and, you know, a typical life. When an angel appeared to her unexpected and told her that she would become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and have a son that she would name Jesus and he would be the son of God. Now, that's not the kind of news that you're expecting on a Tuesday morning when you're doing chores around the house. And for a Jewish girl of the first century, it meant a lot of hardship and a lot of trouble because, see, in that world, in that day, a pregnant teenage girl who was not married, I mean, that kind of a girl would receive all kinds of hardship and ridicule, not only from her community, but often from her own family and certainly from her fiancé who was clearly not involved in getting her pregnant. And so when the angel first comes and tells her that this is going to happen in her life, her first response, Luke records her first response, he says this, that she was greatly troubled at the angel's words. And understandably so. This was not part of her plan. She did not ask for this. She did not sign up for this. And yet here is God through an angel telling her that this was part of God's plan for her. And so she was greatly troubled. And this type of thing happens in our life too. Not the angel part, not the pregnant by the Holy Spirit part. But there are lots of things that happen in your life and mine that we simply don't have control over. You don't have control over where you were. You had no control over where you were born or when you were born or what kind of family you were born into. I mean, in many ways, it's like we were born kind of in the middle of the story of what is happening in human history. We just kind of plopped in the middle of it and, and, and kind of carried along. You didn't get to choose your sex or the qualities or traits that would weave together to, to give you the kind of personality that you have. You didn't get to control or to choose many of the circumstances that happen in your life. I mean, sometimes in life, we end up being pregnant with a, a child that we were not expecting. Or the opposite. We find out that we can't have a baby even though we desperately want to have one. We end up with a health issue that we did not want, did not expect. Or, or someone that we love ends up with a health issue that hugely impacts our lives. We find that we are living here in Ridge Meadows that we were never expecting to. It wasn't part of our plan. We're like, ah, I don't know how I ended up here. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Or, or you love living here and you're like, circumstances are forcing you to end up moved to another place. And you're like, why? Why would we have to leave a place that we love so much? I mean, there are all these kinds of experiences and, and, and circumstances that come into our lives that are beyond our control. And here's what happens to us often when... when when that's the case, like Mary, we're troubled. We're greatly troubled. You have these, these experiences, these circumstances we can't control. We didn't ask for them, we didn't choose them, and we end up saying, like, why, God? Why me? Why this? Why now? Now, if you don't believe that there's a God, 
If you believe that, that, that everything that we see, all that we are here, who you are is simply an accident caused by the evolutionary process, then, then why isn't really a question you can ask because there is no why, right? I mean, the, the, the circumstances that you face in your life are really just a result, if, if you hold to that point of view, they're really the result of an uncaring, uh, un, uh, unceasing and ultimately meaningless gears of evolution simply grinding away, spitting out the, the weak so that there can be the survival of the fittest. And if those circumstances are part of the weak, it's just too bad for you. There's no why if there's not a God. But, but if there is a God, then there's a why. But, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. I mean, for Mary, that doesn't mean it's easy. And so what she begins to do now is to process these experiences in her life, these circumstances, and begin to say like, okay, how do I, how, how do I wrap my head around this thing that I wasn't expecting? How do, how do I think about it? What do I do with it? How do I engage it? And it turns out that this teenage girl is incredibly smart. And how she processes this, how she works through it, is actually incredibly instructive for us. Here's, here's how the process begins. She starts by asking some significant, significant questions, like this one. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? You know, sometimes people in our day think the people in Mary's day were stupid. That they were kind of naive and kind of gullible. But if you read the Bible carefully, you'll find that the people in, in that day were none of those things. None at all. They knew how babies were made. And they didn't expect an angel to appear around every bush. And they had all kinds of legitimate, reasonable questions about God and about faith in God. And Mary certainly does. When the circumstances in our life change, when God allows something to happen in our life that we weren't expecting or, or didn't, don't want, it often causes the same response in us. It causes us to doubt. How can this be? God, why would you allow this thing? How, how could you allow this? Are you really in control, God? Are you even there? And the angel is standing right in front of Mary, and she still has doubts. And I like that. I'm glad for that. You see, it's okay to have doubts. It's fine to have legitimate, hard questions if you're genuinely open to, to receiving answers that will change how you think. In fact, a lot of faith grows out of genuine, honest doubt. And so this is the first step that Mary takes in this process of grappling with these unexpected circumstances in her life. And it's often the same for us. We doubt. Mary says, how can this be? I know full well the baby, how babies are made. And the angel replies and explains that, that God will do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, for nothing is impossible for God. He says, remember who you're dealing with here. He, he, this is God. He isn't constrained by the same limitations and, and, and limits that we have. He can do what is impossible for us because he's God. And so Mary works that through. She, she thinks about that. And, and here's how she responds to that. Verse 38, she says this. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Interesting. Not, not yippee skippy. I'm so excited about this. Not 
Hey, I'm going to tell everyone, guess what? I, I'm pregnant by the, by the Holy Spirit. Not even, wow, this is just going to be great. But neither does she throw a temper tantrum and, and tell God off. She has her doubts. But she acknowledges who God is and what he is capable of doing. And so she accepts what God has ordained for her. And again, for a teenage girl, for us, if we do it, it's profoundly freeing to do that very thing. You see, we live in a culture that defines freedom in terms of complete control, autonomous control. God doesn't tell me what to do. You don't tell me what to do. No one gets to tell me what to do. I'm free to do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. I have total and complete control in my life. In fact, so much so in our culture that people can literally control and choose what gender they want to be. I mean, that, that's significant freedom. But the fact of the matter is that even so, there is still many things that we can't control. All kinds of circumstances that are, that are beyond our control and that we don't have any choice over. And so Mary chooses a different kind of freedom. It's the freedom of surrendering control to a God who is in control of everything. And to receive what God is giving to her as a gift. See, there are many things in life that you don't get to choose. But what you can choose, what you can do is to receive those things that you can't control. That sometimes you didn't even ask for to receive them as a gift from God. Now, that's pretty radical, right? I mean, in our culture, that is wildly, wildly countercultural. But as we're about to see, to receive the circumstances in our life as a gift from God, even when they're not expected, especially when they're not wanted, not only comes with an incredible sense of freedom for us in our life, but also comes with an incredible power in our life. But that's not easy. Mary's troubled. She doubts, but then she accepts. And so th this is the same thing, same thing that we should do. When those things come, we, we, we accept. Say, okay, God, you ordained this in my life. Her response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. But it's not so easy. But powerful and, 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 and freeing. So now Mary, again, she's so smart. She, she sets off to visit her relative, Elizabeth. She's going to go see her for three months. And, and when she gets to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth, she turns out Elizabeth uh, is also pregnant, unexpected for Elizabeth. She was an older lady, but definitely wanted. But when, when Mary comes through the door, the, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy at being in the presence of the baby that is growing in Mary's womb. And, and, and Elizabeth unloads with this huge word of blessing all over Mary and what God is going to do through the baby that is growing in her. And see, here's what Mary is doing. She, she's come to hang out with her, her, her relative that she loves and, and appreciates to process all of the things that, is, that are happening in her life. She's going to process them in the context of community. And, and again, here's we should do the same thing. We, we process in community. See, Mary comes to spend three months and she's going to work it out with, in her mind and in her understanding. She's going to talk about it with someone that she knows and she respects. 
And they're going to help her understand and see what God is doing through these unwanted and unexpected circumstances in her life. How interesting it is that it's this kind of a friendship in Mary's life that's going to kind of give her the breakthrough that she needs. It's going to help her see what God is doing. You see, she, she does it in community, and we all need community. You know, when the circumstances in your life go crazy, when they're not what you want or expect, there's something powerful and freeing about processing with someone else that you know and respect and that can help you understand what God is doing in the midst of those things. I mean, those kind of people, they give us perspective because often we're right here, we can't see it. There's so much stuff going around and we're discouraged, we're frustrated and they're far enough away that they can say, look at it this way. I understand the bigger picture. And not only do they often speak wisdom into our life, but they often impart courage into our life to walk in what God has set before us. But to do that, it means you need to be in community so that others can do that for you, but so that you can also do that for others. one of the values that we have around here. We value deeply walking together, following Jesus together in the context of community, which means that if you're not in community, you should get into community. And one of the best places to do that is in a community group. Now, those groups, they're taking a break over Christmas, but they're going to start up in January. And it's just a natural time for you to be able to get connected again and to walk with others as you follow Jesus together. And sometimes people say, yeah, well, you know, I went once or twice. I didn't find the, the kind of relationships once or twice. Come on, it takes time. You got to go and just get to know people. And as you do, it turns out that you begin to respect them and understand them in a deeper way. And God puts a love in your heart. And then when those things happen, suddenly you've got somebody that you go to and say, can you help me? Can you help me process this thing that God has allowed into my life or this brought into my life? You need to be in a community group. If you're not, you know, if you, and you want to, you should fire an email off here to, to this email address, hello at ridgechurch.ca, and say, hey, help me, and we'll help you get in a community group. Or after the service, just go out, uh, to the Hello Hub and just say, like, how scary is this thing? Like, what's it like? And they'll tell you, and, and they'll help you. Mary processes some of the most unexpected an unwanted news in her life in the context of community with someone that she loves and trusts. And then, and then she writes the first ever Christmas song. And here's how it begins. In verse 46, she says this. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Isn't that interesting? I mean, she started out with, 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 with doubt and then with acceptance and then with processing it and now she comes to worship. She's like, actually... Actually, I worship God. I praise God for what he's doing in my life. And, and then this is what she says in, in verse 48. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. She said, look, I'm just a humble teenager, kind of the lowest in that, in that society in many ways. And yet God through these situations, through these circumstances that he has put in my life, he's going to do something great and powerful through me, me of all people. It's, it's this beautiful thing. It's this powerful thing. She says, generations will call me blessed. 
And they have, and we do, don't we? You see, she finds not only this incredible freedom that she has from accepting her circumstances as a gift from God, but now she sees this incredible power at work in her life in the midst of the various circumstances that she was so troubled by. And this is what Mary discovers. It's the power of surrender. The power of surrendering our lives and our circumstances to the work and the plans of God. The God who will do things with them that we never expected and never dreamed possible when they first came into our life. A God who has plans and purposes that he is weaving together through all of history. You see, a world without God, a world premised on an evolutionary worldview is a world with no real direction, no plan, no no end point, no destination that it's going to. But a world in which God is actively at work. A A world in which God is in control and moving history is a world that has a direction and an end point and a purpose and a plan, which means that the things that happen in our life that feed into are part of what God is doing that ultimately will end in a good and a beautiful thing. See, Mary's song is about the power of surrender. It's a power of of trusting that God is going to do something beautiful through her circumstances. But but that power, that power is not in us. And that that power is the work of God. And she makes that very clear in the next part of her song. Look look at what, what, what she says here. In verse 51, she says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. But he has sent the rich away empty. You hear that? Over and over, he has. He has. Who has? God has. It's God who does these things. And listen to the things that God does. He he does mighty deeds. He scatters the proud. He brings down rulers. He lifts the humble. He fills the hungry. He sends the rich away hungry. These are the kind of things that only God does. I mean, if you're lowly, if you're weak, if you're poor, you don't dislodge the rich. You don't have the power to bring down the powerful and the mighty. You don't have the power to raise yourself, but God can, and God does. Here's the point that she's making when it comes to the power of surrender. The power of surrender is found in God. It's not some sort of, you know, cool, new agey power within us. No, no, it's the power of God at work in our life. We're troubled. We doubt. We accept. We surrender. And then this power of God works in beautiful and amazing ways in our lives. And it's a pattern that you can see all through the history of God's work in people's lives. The Apostle Paul, for instance. At one point, he's writing to some friends of his living in the city of Corinth, and he tells them that there's this this thorn of the flesh, he calls it. And we don't know exactly what it is, but this this circumstance or this, this problem in his life, he says that God gave him to keep him from being conceited. And here's what he writes about it. He says this, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, that's the power of surrender. He says, I begged three times. I begged God, take it away. But he didn't. 
So now I surrendered completely to him. I accepted the circumstances, the problem that he sent in my life. I accepted it as a gift. And I'm actually glad for it because, because through that thing, my weakness is made strong through Christ. It is his power at work in me. That's what Mary sings about in this song. In fact, she ends her song with the ultimate example of this very thing. This is, how, this is how she ends her song in verse 54. He, God, has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You remember the story of Abraham, right? Abraham, beautiful wife, great businessman, rich, wildly successful, lots of money, respected in the community. Uh, you know, uh, not, not, not to be trifled with. He had all this power. He had the world by the tail in control of everything except one thing. He couldn't have a child. They couldn't have a child. The exact opposite of Mary's problem. She had an unexpected child. They, him and his wife Sarah, could not have a child. And yet, God had made this promise to them. Listen to the promise. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Hmm. I can imagine Abraham's prayers. God, you gave me everything except the one thing you promised, a child. How will I be a great nation, God? If I can't, if we can't have a single child. Circumstances totally beyond his control. And so he tries to work around that. He actually gets together with another woman and that, that they have a child be, becomes a huge mess. And so, like Mary, Abraham has to surrender completely. Allow God to do what only God can do and God does what only God could do. God gives him and his wife Sarah a child in their old age. And that boy becomes the love of Abraham's life. But there's a point when God says to him, now, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice your son to me. An incredible test of faith. And when Abraham surrenders completely to God and says, okay, if this is what you ask me to do, I will do it. Then God actually provides a, a different sacrifice. And then God does what he promised to do through one son, through Isaac, and then through his son, Jacob, and then through his sons. He builds for Abraham a great nation that blesses the world. It's the power of surrender. And through that nation, God promised Abraham that he would bless all nations. And that's what he is about to do now through the son that is to be born to a teenage girl by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she's to name that boy Jesus. And Jesus grows up in her home along with Joseph. And when he's baptized, he begins a ministry that would change the world. For three years, he taught and healed people and cast out demons and declared the kingdom of God was at hand. And along the way, he came into increasingly increasing conflict with the cultural elite. The people in that day who told everyone what to think and what to believe and the trouble they'd be in if they don't and Jesus simply continued to run against them. Until finally, they became so angry with him that they made plans to arrest him 
and crucify him. And on the night that all of that was going to go down, Jesus was, went to one of his favorite hangout spots to a, a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knelt down and he prayed and his prayers were fraught with deep emotions and listened to his prayers. Father, if you're willing, take this cup. Take these circumstances away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Please, God, if there is any other way. But if not, total and utter surrender to what you have before me. And there wasn't another way. And so that night Jesus was betrayed and arrested and falsely accused and mocked and beaten and whipped and paraded through the streets of Jerusalem on the next day to be nailed to a cross and hung there till he died. It's exactly what happened. But three days later, God raised him from the dead. And in so doing, he changed the course of human history. In so doing, he, uh, he reconciled us to God. In so doing, he set in motion the kingdom of God, which has spread and grown around the globe and continues to grow today. And literally billions of lives have been set free and changed by the power of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 writes this about Jesus. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That, that is the ultimate picture of the power of surrender. He surrendered his will to the will of God and trusted God through the darkest, most brutal, most difficult experience that anyone could ever have. And God raised him from the dead. And not only did he raise him from the dead, but he exalted him to the highest place. That's what God does. He works in all kinds of ways, powerful ways through the least likely of circumstances, if we're willing to surrender to him. If we're willing to see them not as a curse, not as an abandonment of God, but rather as a unexpected and maybe unwanted, but a gift from God to us. And if we're willing to surrender, there's this incredible power at work in our lives that God will use in the midst of those circumstances, so that at the end we end up praising and glorifying God for the very thing that originally we were in doubt about. Listen, this Christmas, I'm sure that you're going to listen to all kinds of Christmas music. In fact, I'm sure that some of you, I'm sure that some of you secretly or not so secretly love that Christmas song, you know, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Great, cool. I mean, go home, put it on repeat for six hours. See if you still love it. But really, I mean, what, whatever you music you listen to this Christmas season, I hope that in the back of your head, there's another song playing. Mary's song. It just kind of floats into the back of your mind and back out again and, and back in again. It's the very first Christmas song ever. It's a song about the power of surrender. 
a song about a God who can take the most unexpected and unwanted circumstances and do something powerful through them if you're willing to allow him. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for the story of Mary. God, we thank you that when, the, when, when, when Luke wrote his gospel, he didn't just sort of skip over this, but he, he showed us what went on in her life. And, and God, thank you for this young woman who was just so, so mature in her faith, so willing to engage in this thing that was very hard for her in many ways. And God, we thank you that you're the kind of God who takes those kinds of things and uses them, God, if we allow you, if we surrender, if we trust, uses them in powerful ways. God, this season, may we find a freedom in our life by seeing those circumstances, those unexpected things as a gift from you. It's hard to do, God, but as we do it, God, would you set us free to live by the power of your spirit and to allow you to work through them for your praise and your glory. So we look back and say, oh, God has done mighty things through us for his praise and his glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you for coming and joining us again today. Uh, just pray that this season, this Christmas season for you would be rich and beautiful. That you would see God at work in the midst of all sorts of things that happen in your world let me send you out with these uh, words for the Apostle Paul. He writes this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.